Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky of Break of Day Capital. I talk to leading experts to discuss a wide range of subjects to educate investors on best-in-class practices to build legacy wealth and positively impact communities. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Hey, everyone. We have launched the BODC Multifamily Impact Fund. Invest with a trusted operator with a track record of success. Our fund offers diversification, risk mitigation, tax benefits, and stringent acquisition criteria. If you'd like to learn more, head over to our website at breakofdaycapital.com. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Agostino Pintas. Agostino is the founder and CEO of Bulletproof Cashflow, where he applies nearly two decades of real estate experience to source, negotiate, and acquire commercial properties. Thanks for joining us, Agostino. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. I greatly appreciate it. So yes, what we do is we have three lines of business that we're basically involved in. The first line of business is the acquisition of B and C type assets, okay? That is your standard workforce type of housing. So we have about 1,600 units right now here throughout Cleveland. So I, I'm, re- I'm a real big believer in focusing on one market, get to know that market very, very well. It's good when you know the market. It's better when the market knows you. So any future deals that come come about usually head over to me, which is great. Allowed us to, to really build and grow our portfolio quite rapidly. The second line of business is development. And what, what that means is either ground-up development or adaptive reuse, office conversions, things like that. What I'm specifically doing though is urban infill. That means going into areas where there's already traffic, there's already people. We're building in those types of areas. We're not doing build outs in middle of nowhere. We're not doing, you know, tertiary markets or anything else like that. I have nothing against those markets. It's just that the urban infill for the time being, there's still demand. And uh, I like to go where the money is. So you got to go where the money is, right? The third line of business is our net lease funds. We have a fund that acquires single tenant net lease assets, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Walgreens, Advanced Auto Parts, Veterinary Hospitals, all of them have have corporate guarantees. The cool thing about it is that for the investor side, you get a monthly steady return. That's what it is. Are you going to get crazy rich off of it? No. But what it will do is give you the steady return month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year. So you, because it's all corporate guaranteed and you own the real estate, it's a great risk-adjusted return. It's, it's super. So we, we introduced that product a, a little while ago to give our investors uh, the opportunity to still earn steady monthly cash flow while waiting on 
the, those quarterly returns on the other assets, right? So yeah, that's that's basically what we do. We do have an education business as well, which helps people, shows people how to do multifamily assets as well. So uh, that's a real big part of our of our business as well. Nice. I love that you focus on a particular market. I do the same thing. I think it really gives you, it really protects your investors because you know what's going on. You know the players. You know where the rents are, where things cost. It's just that hyper focus and the, those years and years and years of being in that same market really serves you well and your investors. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that people make, especially when they're they're getting into this business, is that they're buying a hundred units in like they live in North Carolina, somewhere in North Carolina. I'm going to buy a uh, hundred fifty units in Dallas. So I'm going to buy. Uh, 20 units in Miami. I'm going to buy uh, 50 units in Canton, Ohio. It's like, it, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. You don't do that. You, you focus on one market and, and grow that market and expand in that market. Why? Because you have all the resources that you already know in that market helps support you while you're building out the business. Like I will not go into a new market unless I know I can buy a thousand units right off the bat. I just won't do it. It's too risky for me to go anything smaller than that. Right. Why? Because I want to be able to get in the right property management, the right operations team to get in there and acquire, or rather to run the asset properly. And then I can expand and grow into that market. That's how it's done properly. That's how the experienced people do it. That's to your point. That's how they reduce the risk, the de-risk the situation by doing it yeah. that way. Yeah. I think people have this, you know, they get into the business and just want to grow, 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 grow. Like a lot of the gurus talk about getting to a thousand units or 2000 units. So they go wide, but not deep, and they're not protecting their investors. And it's just about doing, you know, saying, oh, I've got so many assets under management and this and that, where, you know, don't, don't focus on that. Focus on that expertise, focus on, you know, keep learning and, and doing things th- slow and steady, always wins yep. the race. Yeah, yeah. No, hey man, listen, that's probably one of the biggest things. I mean, listen, we sell, we sell coursework as well, but in our in our group, in our mastermind that we do, not everybody can get in. Okay. So you have to be qualified to get into our mastermind, right? So we're looking for specific types of skill sets that are already there and a willingness to work hard to get into our program. That's one thing. So we don't just accept anybody. That's probably one of the biggest things that many of the gurus say out there is that you buy a duplex and you'll be moving to Miami, living on the beach in six weeks. It doesn't work that way. It's freaking hard. If it were easy, everybody be doing it and everybody be multi, multi, multi-millionaires, right? And it's it's tough work, but it's worth it. 100% is worth it. Doing this business is not easy. But if you are if you underwrite the deal and you buy the asset properly, you can build some great wealth doing this, but you have to know what you're doing. And many of the gurus, they're just interested in pushing a $25,000 course and get you in the program, then you probably never see them again after that. You know, it's, I don't want to sound like I'm negative to the, it's all the gurus out there. <laughs> That's not my intent. I'm just saying to the audience is that it takes, you know, it takes a great deal of work to do this, right? It's not easy. You know, this yep. is not easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about adaptive reuse. It's very popular right now. We've, we've done two projects. We turned student housing into multifamily and garden office space to multifamily. What kind of projects are, are you doing? We're doing something similar where we're taking mostly high rises and low rises and turn them into multifamily, right? So I like to do the historic adaptive reuse type scenario. So why? Well, because when you're doing a historic deal, okay, usually just acquiring the building 
it's very, very, the numbers are very tight usually. Okay. But when you have a historic deal, you have the historic tax credits, you get federal historic tax credits. Sometimes you can get state tax credits, depending on what's, what else is going on in that state and what other deals. It's a, it's a competitive type scenario, right? That does not, that's not always guaranteed. The federal one is, especially if it's on the, the historic national registry. Then you also have, there's other tax credits that usually the city will give you for a deal. And then you also have, when you add on PACE financing, it's like a, a PACE rather, PACE financing, it has to do mainly with uh, environmental, make sure your asset is environmentally compliant. The deal just screams. It's great. And you're also reusing a property that nobody wants to use for office anymore because there's been generally decline in the use of office, at least for the time being anyway. You're reusing the asset. The city likes it because now they're, they're getting that, that urban infill and it drives more business to the local businesses and they get a ta- bigger tax base too. So the city loves it as well. So it works out very, very well. I like to do, like I said, the historic tax, the, the historic type of deals where, there, and where there's also OZ, opportunity zone, like the opportunity zone thing, it just crushes, right? So those are the deals I like to do, right? So those deals are very, very specific. That means I'm not doing stuff in like, say, Dallas, Texas. I'm not doing stuff in Miami. You know, there's no OZ there, you know, at least the OZ that I want to do anyway, you know? So I want to do those types of deals because I know that uh, given where the cost of labor is, the cost of materials are, you kind of have to have that extra juice in there to make the deal really scream, you know? You made it sound really, really intriguing. So any newbies out there, like if this sounds really good, uh, make sure you partner with someone very experienced because it there's so much involved. And when you're talking tax credits, how much are you looking? Are you talking 10, 20% on the bill? Like what, you know, give us a, a kind of number. It, it, yeah, it generally depends. It depends on, on the capital stack. I mean, here's the thing. Those deals are extremely complicated. Finding the right lender to do the deal can be tough too, because many lenders just shy away from it because it's so complicated, right? Just rattling off a few of those things, opportunity zone, federal tax credit, state tax credit, you get a TIF, you get a PACE, you get, there's two or three other ones, I forget the name of them right now, there's so many, the the acronyms are just nuts. But that's four or five different things in the capital stack, meaning the money that's going to be made up of the entire deal itself. Then you have the debt from the lender, and then you have the equity that you're putting into the deal too, right? So sometimes that capital stack can make up 50, 60% of the entire money, maybe more, you know? In some cases, sometimes it's the only way the deal actually pencils is to have all those incentives, right? So uh, not to mention, there's also one thing I didn't cover here in the state of Cleveland or in the, in the city of Cleveland anyway, there's also a 15-year tax abatement. You know, so it's like when you have tax abatement, OZ, historic tax credit, state tax credit, TIF, PACE, you have all these things that fill out the capital stack. It's a no brainer. The deal works, right? I like to do good deals. I don't do dumb deals. That's one of the things I don't do. (laughs) I don't, I don't like to do high risk deals. I just won't do them. I just won't do them. It sounds incredibly, you know, uh, hard undertaking, but it also sounds incredibly interesting too to pile all these different pieces together uh, and to make a really good opportunity for your investors. Sounds oh, like, you know, for sure. Yeah, this is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Not only from the from when you're putting the deal together, 
but also for the lender. Like there's certain lenders that that only use like exclusively, right? Because they never let me down on like when I'm doing my my uh, B and C acquisition, right? They never let me down. They always execute. That's a big deal for me. Okay. They wanted a crack at the development side because they handle development. I said, all right, fine. Take a look at this deal. They took a look at it. The head started spinning. And they said, we can't do this. You know, it's not because they're lacking in some way or they're dumb or whatever. It's just outside of their, their wheelhouse. It's just, they have, most lenders like to do certain type of deals. What does that mean for the listener out there? That means if you're looking at a deal and you send a deal to a bank and the bank gives you some really crappy terms, your next question is, do you guys like doing multifamily or not? Like, If you don't, it's fine. I just want to know. Because then if you don't like doing multifamily, I won't give you any more of these deals. The lender may say, oh, no, we love multifamily. And if they give you crappy terms and they love doing multifamily, like and what I mean by crappy terms is a little higher interest rate with a 20-year amortization they probably don't like that deal. If they don't like the deal, if they because because of the crappy terms, you probably shouldn't do that deal because the lender's your biggest partner, right? So, but if the lender says, "Oh no, we love doing industrial. We don't like doing multifamily," then you shouldn't be, be talking to them in the first place, right? So, there, if there's one takeaway in this discussion that we're having right now, Gary, is that for for many people out there, and it's not news to you, but you have to work with lenders that like doing the type of assets that you're pitching them. Right, because you're that's all you're they're, they're basically your business partner in the deal, right? And if they don't like the deal, they may do the deal, but it'll be like a 20 year AM with you know two or three points over what the current interest rate is, <laughs> what the prevailing interest rate is. And it's like, no, they probably don't like the deal. You probably should either go to a different lender or explore why it's so bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think an important lesson for people sometimes is you know, they'll go with a lender just because they have a little cheaper rate, but. If you're doing a project like this and your draws are taking twice as long and now, you know, you're you're either having to cover the difference because you want to keep your team moving forward or you have a pause because you don't have the money, then you're screwed. So, yeah, absolutely. You want to work with a lender that really is comfortable in this space and knows the space. So hopefully they could bring some expertise and be uh, an easy partner to, to work with because that is huge on these types of deals. I have a rule. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write a book about the general rules of real estate. And there's a rule that says the harder it is to do a deal with a lender, the harder it is to get out of the deal with the lender. <laughs> so meaning if the lender, you're, you're working to deal with the lender, the lender starts asking, starts asking for this document, that document, this document, this document, this document. And then they go back and they say, oh, you know what? You never sent me this first document, but it's like, you know, you did. You check your email. It's there, Right. And you resend it again. Then you resend the third document, resend the sixth document. They've already sent them. And then they start making it harder and harder and harder. Generally speaking, servicing the loan will be just as hard. You know, so just a key takeaway from your folks out there too. <laughs> yep. yep. I have a couple of lenders that the servicing is, it makes you pull your hair out. It's like, we're trying to run a business here and you're not making it easy. It's It can be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, fortunately, it doesn't impact the overall operation per se, depending on if you're counting on them for draws and stuff to your point earlier. But, you know, if that's as bad as it gets on the servicing side, fine. You know, really operations is still where the bread and butter is made. I know that's that's your your key thing is operating the asset. And that's that's where the money is made and or lost, you know, if it's not run properly. It's operations is everything. It's everything, you know. So, yeah, it's... But yeah, servicing, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal too. 
big deal too. So you have you know pretty diverse investment criteria that you're that you do. Do you have investors that invest in all three, you know, and want a, a diverse portfolio, or do you have certain investors that just go like, I want to just do multifamily, or I want to just do triple net, or I want to do the conversions? What I think, what yeah, I know, that's a good question. I so we do have investors that invest in all three, right? They do, and I find that. The folks that were doing just multifamily, say, three years ago, four years ago, I only want to do multifamily because the returns are so great, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's like, listen, it's not it's not always like that. It was like that now, or it was like that then, but today, not so much. You know, it's like it's the guys that get into the wrong deals by overpaying for them. There was a guru out there saying, oh, it doesn't matter how much it is. Buy it, buy it, buy it now. I mean, I can't believe people would actually take his advice based on just saying that they way overpay for the deal and they got an adjustable rate mortgage and they got no rate cap on, on a bridge loan, for instance, and, and a rate cap, think of a rate cap as like insurance policy for the guys who know what a rate cap is. Think of it as like an insurance policy on the interest rate, which is already higher than the prevailing interest rate that is generally available at that point with, when you're getting bridge debt, and those guys getting killed right now. You just don't hear about them. They're getting slaughtered right now. They're getting killed, right? It's a tough time for those folks, man. Tough time for those folks. We never did much of that. <laughs> you know, everything we did was fixed rate. It's, it's it's the old, I've been doing this for a long time. And that was that was my methodology from when I used to buy single family homes. The same thing. I never I never got any type of crazy adjustable return or adjustable rate mortgage or anything else like that. Never did that. I always fixed everything. I paid more money, put fixed rate on uh, fixed mortgages on everything. You know, you pay a little more, but then you you never have to worry about the turbulence of the economy. The things that, that are beyond your control, you don't have to worry about it. You know, especially if the rate's good. Why not? You know, fix the rate. So looking forward next few years, you know, are you looking for kind of evenly dispersed portfolio or are you you're you're gonna be more heavy in maybe office conversions over the next few years? What are you looking at? No, that's a good question. I think right now we're still we're opportunistic on the multifamily side. I think these days it's very hard to find a deal that's that pencils on the multifamily, like C B class type scenario. I mean, they're out there. It's just tougher to find. And, and when I say that, and again, we're targeting, you know, two, three, four hundred units at a time. You know, those deals are few and far in between these days, right? But we are spending a, a great deal more time on the net lease acquisition side and on the office conversion side. And I'm still specifically targeting the Cleveland market just because of those incentives I mentioned earlier. There's still demand here. There's still demand here. There's there's a shortage of 5,000 units down here in downtown Cleveland where I'm at right now, right? And there's still jobs coming out. People are still moving here. Where are they coming from? Different places. Because again, Sherwin-Williams is adding a bunch of jobs downtown. You have... Uh, um, Cleveland Clinic adding 20,000 jobs over the next 10 years. I mean, there's there's people coming out, right? So those people need housing and they want to be where the action is, right? So there's just plenty of room for that right now. So that's that's why we're we're focused on that that kind of stuff for the time being. I and I also think that once things settle down with uh, maybe the, the next uh, by the time we get out of this current economic cycle, maybe if there's ever a change in the 
in the political situation that we're currently in right now, maybe things will free up a little bit then too, but we'll see. That's yet to be seen, right? You know, I firmly believe that there, you know, every market you kind of underwrite differently. And so if you really know your market, you can invest anywhere. It doesn't, it could be Detroit. It could be for, you know, people talk about, oh, uh, there's so much growth in Florida, but there's opportunity in every single market and during every single cycle. So you just underwrite differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the general rule of underwriting properly is always key, no matter what happens, no matter where it is, what market cycle, what market it is, doesn't matter. I think it's also important to realize the ebb and flow of what's going on and not to get stupid about the deals that you're looking at. Because a lot of people make a lot of mistakes by by overestimating or by overpaying for stuff and the market will just fix it. Or they also believe that this appreciation will last forever. Well, guess what? There's appreciating markets and cash flow markets. And appreciating markets like New York City, uh, Los Angeles, and, and you know those types of markets, they always go up no matter what, because for some ungodly reason, people want to live there. And then you have cash flow markets like Cleveland, Ohio, like uh, what else? I, I guess like, well, Cleveland, Ohio is probably a good one, right? Why? Because this, this market doesn't move as fast as the other guys do. And it's all based on actual real NOI, right? I only do cash flow markets. That's all I'll ever do. Why? Because I don't want to count on crazy appreciation and all speculation because one day somebody decides we don't want to invest in Miami anymore. You're done, right? Always invest for cash flow. You'll never go wrong, right? Uh, plenty of other syndicators out there. They invested for appreciation, and uh, the appreciation has stopped. Stopped a long time ago. They're going to get they're going to get killed. Is what they're going to do, right? Especially if they have one of those adjustable rate type of bridge loans with no rate cap. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. August, you know we're we're out of time, but I, I loved our conversation, and you added a ton of value on adaptive reuse market expertise, and having a, a, a diverse investment thesis. Uh, so thank you so much. Can you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you and your company? Absolutely. So if you go to uh, bulletproofcashflow.com, you can start there. Uh, we're also all over social media. You know, we're on, we're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all over the place. Look me up, say hi. I was like hearing from people. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Investor Podcast. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and leave a review as it will help us reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website at breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week. We'll be right back.